is your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. Turn, hand it off to Minter, hit in the backfield and drilled. Again, 13's there to make the tackle. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation. This is the KLIN Husker Hour. Strike three called, and the Huskers are the Big Ten Conference champions. That's it, got it! Underdog, and then one! Exclamation point! Now, your hosts, KLIN contributor, Cole Stukenholz, and sports director, Caleb Henry. Good Saturday morning. One more in 2022. Welcome to the KLIN Husker Hour. Another edition. I'm Cole Stukenholz. Flying solo for now, Matt McMaster. Hopefully will join us here shortly. Caleb Henry, sports director and newly promoted program director here at KLIN uh, will not be joining us. He's off today. Don't worry. Caleb has not opted out of this show like 100%. He's not entered the transfer portal. I know there's a lot of opt-outs for bowl season right now, but uh, he will be back. He'll be back for that first 2023 show a week from today. Uh, we've got a nice, nice show lined up. We've got some fun. We've got some fun stuff to talk about. Uh, also, we've got a little bit of recruiting wrap and and maybe preview, I guess, as well uh, with Mike Schaefer from Husker 24-7. Uh, he's going to jump on with us here shortly about what Nebraska's already done in this 2023 class, what they could continue to do. Obviously, that will go through to, uh, in, to, fe- to the February signing period as well. So <clears throat> there, there's plenty of recruiting to talk uh, with Schaefer. And we've got both the men and the women's basketball. Uh, we've also got some football staff news. Uh, so a lot to get to. We're glad to have you with us here. Uh, if you uh, are on the Facebook Live at KLI and Huskers, you can see I've got the, the 2005 Alamo Bowl shirt. It's bowl season. This is the only bowl game I've attended in person, Nebraska-Michigan. The, uh, the, the craziness at the end with Michigan almost going all the way. Uh, I was actually in the end zone. I was about the I was about, I was about the goal line, walking towards the the middle of the field uh, as a member of the press from uh, my college days. I was in prime position to tackle Michigan's tight end if he would have cut back towards the middle. Uh, if the the Nebraska won that thirty two to twenty eight with uh, Zach Taylor, Cincinnati Bengals head coach Zach Taylor to Terrence Nunn in the late minutes of that game to uh, to clinch it for the Huskers. <laughs> Um, if uh, if you were if you were excited a few weeks ago about Nebraska football finally getting their win against Iowa after eight tries and and getting to tune into this radio program the next morning to celebrate with us, if you were excited just a couple weeks ago to hear us recap Nebraska basketball's win over Creighton at long last, first one in a while, first one in Omaha, and even longer, then you are excited yet again to tune in here and to hear me discuss Nebraska 66, Iowa 50. This was, just from the start, just awesome. Nebraska... It was, I think it was, I don't know, maybe Iowa had led six to three. That may have been the only lead they had. Yeah, it was, uh, it was in the first quarter. They led by three. Uh, and then Nebraska, when it was nine to eight, proceeded to go on a 20 to nothing run, and Iowa couldn't buy a shot. Iowa missed 54 shots in this game, 19 for 73. And look, some of that. Yeah, you could probably chalk up to Iowa just having a bad night shooting. Their guys usually don't miss that much. But I'm going to go ahead and chalk 95% of that up to Nebraska basketball's black shirt defense. Manuel Bandamel, Juwan Gary, Derek Walker, Sam Greasel. They were suffocating on defense, did not let Iowa get comfortable, did not let Iowa get 
all of the shots they wanted, especially in the paint. They they jacked up a lot of threes. They went seven for twenty eight from three. But this was one of the worst two point shooting nights in the Fran McCaffrey era for Iowa. So they they couldn't get anything going. At one point in the first quarter, they were shooting eleven percent. And that was after they'd had like twenty shots up. Eleven percent, that's hard to do. Probably wouldn't be hard for me, but that's hard to do. And Iowa comes into this game averaging 83 points per game. And the Huskers held them to 50. And that's with a three-pointer at the second-half buzzer to make it look a little bit better. The way Nebraska defended was so impressive. And it, it further signifies the mentality shift, the schematic shift that head coach Fred Hoiberg has made in his fourth year. It flat out was not working the way he was trying to get it working. He was trying to marshal all of these stars, all of these shooters, all of these scorers into the program put them together, and just watch the magic happen. And it just didn't work. Whether it was a chemistry thing, whether it was a prioritization of which which guy gets the shot, which guy gets the ball, which guy is is the, the player you go to late in the game, depending on what that is, that that may have... That may have led to friction. I, I don't know. It just there. There are a lot of different explanations that you could come up with for why it didn't work in those first three seasons. And obviously, he's remade the roster pretty much every off season, which is not really. It's not really an excuse because he's the one doing it. Like he's causing that part of it. He's causing that roster turnover. Uh, Obviously, of the COVID year, which did not go uh, very well for Nebraska basketball, they were hit harder than most. But regardless, it's his fourth season. There should be more results to point to at this point. I think everybody can agree on that, especially for a guy who had pretty much instant and consistent success over a little bit east in Ames. So for him to have struggled so badly, shifted so so starkly in this season, and to see it starting to pay off already before we even hit 2023 uh, is really something. And, and I think the main two players you point to, obviously Derek Walker has been here, Sam Griesel has been an impact transfer as well. But the main two in terms of that mentality shift, in my mind, are Juwan Gary and Emmanuel Bandabel. Those two players led Nebraska in minutes against Iowa. And they are the ones who are most frequently busting their butts to rotate over on all of that perimeter movement from Iowa. Those guys move the ball really well. It's part of why they're so effective offensively. And... Every single time they would rotate over, they thought they had an open shot. Nope, there's number four, Juwan Gary. Nope, there's number 25, Emmanuel Bandamel, right in their face again. And they still can't get the shot up that they want. And eventually they find another pass because that's what Iowa does. And then they get a shot up, but it's maybe not the one they wanted. It's maybe not the guy they wanted in terms of that play design. And those shots just were not falling. First half, Iowa shot 20% from the field. By comparison, Nebraska shot 50%. And Iowa got 11 more shots up than Nebraska. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Halftime score, Nebraska by 12. There was a stretch in the second half. Nebraska didn't score for almost seven minutes. And they were still winning by like 18 points. Because Iowa couldn't score either. Because Nebraska, despite the fact that they still find a way for, uh, they still find a way to do those offensive lulls, 
Can't believe that's actually not sponsored on the radio yet, by the way. They still do all of the other things really, really well. Obviously, basketball is, you know, if you look at the scoreboard, that's the thing that you point to at the end to determine who wins and loses. You have to score to win. But outside of scoring, Nebraska does everything else really, really well. And that's a flip from past Fred Hoiberg teams. The defense and rebounding emphasis is the biggest shift from the last three seasons. And if you look at the one player in particular, who I think was the MVP of that game on Thursday, Juwan Gary. Juwan Gary's game best reflects the entire team's game overall. Like, what he does well is kind of what the team is. He plays super hard. He's a solid defender and rebounder. Well above average, maybe excellent. And if he gets some shots to fall, then watch out. That That's pretty much this whole team, right? They, they defend really well. They rebound really well. They out-rebounded Iowa in this one 54-40. to 40. Uh, They play hard from start to finish. They play really well together. And if they get their shots to fall, they're tough. They're tough to beat. Uh, I think the worst game of the year, that St. John's game earlier this season, they they just, they could not score. And you saw St. John's start to get the ball rolling downhill, and it was just, you couldn't stop them. And there were other there were players missing from that game as well, but Derek Walker, I think that was his first game back, was not in was not in in game shape quite yet. But if you have Nebraska hitting shots like CJ Wilcher, three of six from three, thirteen points, plus twenty uh in the plus minus led all players. <laughs> Juwan Gary. If Juwan Gary's knocking down three pointers, he was two for five, forty percent from three, scored fourteen points to lead all Huskers in the score sheet. If Juwan Gary's scoring in double digits, you're going to be in pretty good shape most of the time this season, even in the Big Ten. Gary ended up with 14 points, 9 rebounds. Derek Walker, 10 points, 8 rebounds. Greasel with a double-double. <laughs> uh, extremely quiet double-double, if you ask me. 12 points, 10 boards. Also had 5 assists against just 2 turnovers. That's another thing. If, if you have Greasel able to distribute the ball, while not turning it over, that's going to go a long way as well. Some of Nebraska's toughest performances this season have been partially due to just a glut of turnovers, and, and Greasel has been uh, chief among them. I think that St. John's game, he got turnover close to double digits. Uh, and then Emmanuel Bandamel, 10 points as well. 10 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. All five of Nebraska's starters in double figures. You're, you're going to see that a lot. It's, it's going to be a spread out scoring responsibility. You're going to see different guys lead the charge each night. But the constants are very different. Like I said, the defense and rebounding, you can take those anywhere. That'll play in West Lafayette. That'll play in Minneapolis. That'll play in State College. College Park in East Lansing. You can take that defense. You can take the rebounding anywhere. You're not relying upon Bryce McGowan's to score X amount of points every night, or Alonzo Verge, or Deshaun Burke, or CJ, uh, or Cam Mack, any of those guys. CJ Wilcher does not have to score for this team to win. It's really nice when he does. But he does not have to score for this team to be successful. Uh, shout out to Oleg as well. Uh, maybe the most minutes he's played, uh, probably the most minutes he's played in the Big Ten game, maybe against a Power Six opponent this uh, this season or in his career. Uh, three and a half minutes as uh, Derek Walker needed a blow. Breidenbach came in and got hit with two fouls within like 13 seconds. The second one, extremely sketch. So uh, shout out to Oleg. Uh, Jamarcus Lawrence hit a three, his only shot. Case uh, only had two points, and it wasn't even a three-pointer. 
there there are guys who, if they're on, they're going to give you a huge lift. We've seen a Kase game this season. Denim Dawson has has had uh, nice stretches this season. You've seen lots of different guys just dominate at times for Nebraska. And so being able to have that versatility and not having to just lean on somebody and, and if they're off, then your team is sunk. Like we've seen past Fred Hoiberg squads be in that position. To have that versatility is is really important. And and this team has that. So I guess the moral of the story is watch out. <laughs> uh, N- Nebraska is going to be in most Big Ten games because of the defense, because of the rebounding. And if they can score, watch out. If they can score, they're going to be able to sh- they're going to be able to take teams all the way down to the wire uh, and and be in games late. Uh, their next game is Tuesday. They're at Michigan State. That's a six o'clock tip. Uh, you'll be able to hear pregame right here at five uh, on KLIN. Uh, we've got a good show lined up. Uh, we've got women's basketball to get to. Uh, they took a tough loss uh, this week, but they'll get they'll look to rebound quickly. Uh, we've got a lot of football news to get to. Some coaching staff updates uh, and recruiting. We're going to talk recruiting right after this with Mike Schaefer from Husker twenty four seven. Don't go anywhere. This is KLIN Husker Hour. Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Rolling along here on your Saturday morning, deep into bowl season. Got the college football playoff on later today. Big Ten's doing well so far. And Nebraska football is uh, is rolling as well as as you've got the bulk of the 2023 class signed, sealed, and delivered. Got some work to do yet still with uh, maybe some more high schoolers, definitely probably some more transfer portal guys. Uh, and one of the best to cover recruiting joins us now here on the KLI and Husker Hour. It's Mike Schaefer from Husker 24-7. Schaefer, how are you this morning? I am pretty good. I mean, I almost just fell up the stairs. But other than that, pretty good. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's hope that there's no more incidents with involving stairs for you today. Uh, we uh, we also are uh, looking at some coaching news, which I want to get to. But let's start with what Nebraska and and head coach Matt Rule has put together with this 2023 class. Just starting off uh, as, as the as the signing day gets further into rearview mirror for you, what sticks out most about how Matt Rule kind of pieced this 2023 class together? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they did a nice job of not wasting time on players they felt like they didn't have much of a chance with. I mean, I think that's always a tough thing when you're transitioning a job and you're doing it in a short amount of time and you have a ton of stuff going on. I mean, you're trying to finish that 2023 class. You've got the transfer portal. You've got kids on a roster that need attention. You got to go hire support staff and your own coaches and everything else. And I think it's really commendable um, that they kind of had a strategy. They kind of stuck to it. I mean, I think that there were some players that they could have spent some time chasing that they knew that they weren't going to end up getting. And so you just didn't waste time. And I I think that's one of the things that is going to serve them pretty well is that they, they went out and they got the players they thought they could get. They have some other guys potentially on the hook that are making decisions at the Under Armour All-American Bowl or will be making decisions in February of 2023. And they'll put some emphasis into that. But they were able to go out and get a, a group. They retained a lot of the commitments that Mickey Joseph and Scott Frost had put together, and I think that's going to serve them well. Uh, but they were able to go out and, and put a group together that could be pretty interesting. They have some lottery tickets in there, and they have some guys that I think are going to be really reliable for them. So, Overall, I thought it was a, a good transition month for Matt Rule, um, and there's plenty more work to do in January and beyond. In terms of looking at the kind of the breakdown of the scholarship additions for Nebraska, eight players from the state. What does that say to you in terms of what Matt Rule is going to prioritize? Is it just this class? Is it is it just this this? particular time for Nebraska high school or is this maybe a recognition that hey there's there's actually pretty good players in this state that we can use 
I think it's a combination of everything. I think the 2022, uh, or excuse me, the 2023 class, uh, the 2022 seniors, they're a good group of high school players. And I, I mean, anyone that spent any time watching Class A football in the last couple of years isn't surprised by this. And so I, I think it was pretty easy for them to come here. They already knew that Mason Goldman was going to be a target. He was for the previous staff. Tristan Elvano had already gotten an offer. But Jalen Lloyd was sort of their kind of mark right as they came in. It's like, okay, we know this guy can run. We think we can teach him to play football at a level that could be pretty conducive for what we want to do. Let's take the shot. And they did. And I, I think for a variety of reasons, even if Jalen Lloyd only becomes a track star, and <laughs> that's a hilarious way to put it, but <laughs> the thing about Jalen Lloyd is he's going to at least be one of the upper echelon track individuals in the country, yep. no matter what happens with football. So even if he's only a track star, the fact that one of the first things that Matt Rule came in and did was offer someone that's pretty well-respected in North Omaha and is known in that Boys and Girls Club up there and is someone that is, is kind of regarded as a, uh, a guy that uh, went out and, and earned it, so to speak. I think that sort of goodwill is going to carry over when we're talking about Caleb Piper and the, the 2024 class or Champ Davis or a number of guys that are in North Omaha or in Omaha at places that, quite frankly, aren't Bellevue West and aren't Omaha Burke and aren't Omaha West Side. You know, we get really locked into these schools that seem to produce these players. There's talent other places in the Metro. I mean, it's, it's not just the Elkhorns and the Gretnas and the Millards that can produce or Bellevue. It's other players. It's other places in OPS. And so I think there was a lot of uh, appreciation. And I know that Jalen Lloyd ended up at Westside at the end of his career. And I'm not trying to speak ill of anything there. I'm just trying to say that, you know, it meant a lot to certain people in the football community that that was something they did right away. And so I don't know that we're going to see eight guys every year from the state of Nebraska, but it was a really good year. And, you know, frankly, they would have loved for it to have been nine or ten. I mean, there are some guys that uh, – that got away that, uh, you know, that if there's a, a shot in the transfer portal, uh, you know, in a couple of years, they'll, they'll certainly be interested. Mike Schaefer from Husker 24-7 joining us here this morning on the KLI and Husker Hour. Uh, the, the coaching staff's about complete. The, the tight end coach news came out this week. Uh, in terms of how the staff was put together, I think one thing that stuck out to me was the fact that a lot of guys have experience as being in recruiting coordinator positions or being part of the recruiting staff in their past, what does that say to you in terms of how maybe different recruiting will be prioritized with this staff as opposed to past staffs? Well, I don't know that they're going to emphasize it anymore because I do really believe that Frost, you know, his, his intentions with what they were trying to do and the people he put in charge in terms of recruiting we're trying to trying to do that. Mm -hmm. But what I like about what Matt Rule has done is he's went out and he's hired several, as you said, recruiting coordinators, guys like Evan Cooper, guys like uh, EJ Barthel, and there's another one for some reason that I'm blanking on. I don't know why. but uh, yeah, Well, he wasn't ever no. a recruiting coordinator. But then you have you know Adam D. Michelle and Omar Hales. And a yeah. lot of these guys have all worked together. And one of the things that you know is really important is that you want to be on a similar page in terms of how you're evaluating, and you want to be able to evaluate. Like if, if Evan Cooper is going to be the guy who watches a ton of film, and Evan Cooper goes to Terrence Knighton, he's like, I think we need to look at this defensive lineman. He needs to have a good feel for what it is that Terrence Knighton wants out of the defensive line, what it is that Matt Rule wants out of the defensive line, the type of traits that they're pursuing. And then, you know, from there, Terrence Knighton is going to do the job in terms of, you know, building that relationship, determining if the kids' characteristics fit what you want in terms of bringing to your, your roster, all of that. But on the front end, having a position coach that's been a recruiting coordinator, that's been in the recruiting offices, that is not a stranger to watching a ton of film and likes to watch film, is not something that you get with every staff. I mean, I've definitely covered some staffs where it's like, well, the recruiting guys will get us who we need to go after, and then we'll build the relationship from there. You don't always want that. I mean, sometimes you want to be able to put eyes on a player and determine that this is someone you want, or else you run into situations, as we saw very recently, where one coach takes the commitment because it looks good for him, but the future position coach isn't particularly excited about coaching this individual, and he wanted someone else. Spots are scarce, and then it becomes this awkward situation. So I think that we're going to avoid a lot of that because a lot of these guys have worked together, and they're on the same page for what they're trying to do. 
uh, Matt Rule kind of gushed uh, unexpectedly to most about how uh, Eric Fields, that linebacker from Oklahoma, um, just how much the staff liked him and, and how you know dead set they were on getting him despite the fact that he didn't really have uh, a ton of attention in recruiting. Uh, who's an under-the-radar guy that you have higher than most on your list out of the commitment so far? There's a few guys in this class that I'm really intrigued by. Um, there's a there's a the kid out of South Dakota that they call Magic, uh, Jason Maciazak. I think I I gave that like a fifty percent try. Let's go with it. Uh, <laughs> so he's he fascinates me because you know I I watch a fair amount of North Dakota State, South Dakota State um, for a variety of reasons and. One of the things that North Dakota State and South Dakota State and that Missouri Valley Conference does pretty well is develop linemen. And they're usually guys that come in uh, that aren't 320 pounds and don't move as well as this kid. And he's, you know, he's a big kid that doesn't need to add mass. He just needs to be technically refined. It's one of those things where, you know, when you're talking about an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, part of the reason they can't play early is that they have to figure out, you know, how to either use the mask that they have or how to, you know, gain the mask that's going to allow them to withstand what life is like in the Big Ten. And when you have a kid that's already 320 pounds and has great footwork, and you're just going to start right away with great footwork and explosive, good motor, good size, you go straight into hand placement. You go straight into, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's where... You know, a guy like that, whether he ends up with Donovan Rayola or Terrence Knighton, I'm really intrigued by because I think that's a pretty quick potential offensive line for them or, you know, defensive line. We'll see. I think he's going to end up on the offensive side. I think that's what he wants to play. Uh, But that's someone that, you know, is further down the list but might play before a lot of other players. Like, put it this way, it wouldn't surprise me if a kid that was committed to North Dakota gets on the field before Malachi Coleman. And that has nothing to do with Malachi Coleman's talent level. It's just that he might be more ready to get on the field than Malachi Coleman, who physically has all of the traits, but is still pretty raw in terms of playing wide receivers. So I'm really kind of curious by that. And then you have the other end of the spectrum at the same spot on the line, but then more of a defensive lineman here in Vincent Carroll Jackson, who I'm just fascinated by because he's only played nine games in his career. He has no technical refinement whatsoever. He could not be more raw. And yet you look at that physique and that frame and you think, okay, if Terrence Knighton can figure this out, they're going to be cooking with gas here on the defensive line. So I think there's a lot to like um, about this class and some of those lottery tickets. But those two guys on the line, Vincent Carroll Jackson and Jason uh, Maciazak, uh, those two guys in particular are the kind of players that I've seen Matt Rule develop into being, you know, they're all uh, Conference USA or all AAC or all Big 12. And those are the sort of things that if, if Matt Rule works at Nebraska, it's because he has a high success rate with guys like that. Another minute or two here with Mike Schaefer from Husker 24-7. Uh, Malachi Coleman, part of this class, uh, what was your percentage that you gave Matt Rule when the change was made, when the hire was made, and uh, with everything that happened with Mickey Joseph came out. In terms of getting Malachi Coleman, where did you, you put odds on it as, as soon as Rule was hired? Probably 85%. I've always been pretty, pretty expecting that Malachi was going to end up in Lincoln. I mean, he's a kind of a homebody. He you know, spends a lot of time with his family. Yeah. I, I think it would be difficult for him if he had ended up you know, at, at a Michigan or an Oregon or a USC or an Old Miss, and those were some of the schools early on. Obviously, Colorado is the only other place that he visited. There's a brief moment in time where it seemed like he could end up with the Buffaloes. But again, it, it all comes back to, I think Matt Rule did a really nice job with that family from day one. I think Matt Rule did a really good job with Malachi Coleman, who was pretty pretty decided that he was linked to Mickey Joseph until he realized he wasn't. And I think whatever Matt Rule said to sort of open his mind to the idea that, hey, you know, if you go somewhere else, it's not going to be Mickey Joseph either, then I, I think that might have played a little bit of a factor in it. And so I think Matt Rule specifically did a very nice job there. Uh, and, and I think Malachi Coleman's going to be a fascinating player. I mean, for a variety of reasons, he's going to get talked about. Uh, I think one of the things that's going to help him the most is he's going to go from a situation where he's expected to be a superstar 
and he's going to be able to go be another guy for a little bit, and then that athleticism can flourish, and he doesn't have to be the best player on the team. I mean, sometimes we get so locked in that these recruits have to be the best guy at where they're at, and sometimes they're not, but that doesn't mean they aren't really talented, or that doesn't mean they can't help you. It just means that they need other people to help them get to where they're going, and I think Malachi is going to be one of those guys where people might get hung up on how his senior season went with Lincoln East, but when he gets into a competitive environment, and it's all about just what your base athleticism can do and he gets the development and the coaching and the timing is down with the quarterback, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he starts to flourish as a wide receiver. Last one for you. As, as a Vikings fan, uh, which Vikings fan are you? Are you enjoying the ride or just bracing for inevitable heartbreak? I mean, both. But <laughs> I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's also a Vikings fan and he's from out of state and I saw him last night for the first time in a while. And so we had like 40 minutes of, Vikings talk that nobody else was interested in, but we both had the same kind of reaction. Like neither of us came into this year expecting that this was a Super Bowl contending team. And yet what's been fun is there are a lot of pieces on this team that have been around for a while that were part of the 2017 run that were part of the 2015 team that, you know, you'd love to see them have an extended playoff run. And it's fun to see some of those guys have success, even though you realize that it's probably a one-year thing like it's hard to imagine this season being repeatable next year not just because 33 point comebacks don't happen every week <laughs> but because it's just like there's a lot of you know Dalvin Cook, Eric Hendricks, Daniil Hunter, Darius Smith who's new to the group, Harrison Smith a lot of these guys it's you know their futures in Minnesota aren't going to be there that long so it's just been a lot of fun uh, to watch and then of course as, as a guy who grew up and became a Vikings fan because of my obsession with Randy Moss when he was at Marshall I like I struggle to say this, but Justin Jefferson could be the best Viking that I've ever seen. Like and and it's it's unbelievable to me because I've been blessed in the sense that Adrian Peterson and Randy Moss, two of the best to ever play at their position in my never that humble opinion, uh, you know, have both been <laughs> in my lifetime for so yeah. long. And then here I am gifted another just like incredible wide receiver to watch every week. And I think that he has uh he he makes it look so effortless and so easy. I mean, even just last week against the Giants, third and nine, who else is going to get the ball? And yet he gets himself open and Kirk delivers it to him. Third and 11, who else is going to get the ball? And yet they designed the perfect play to get 15 yards and kick a 61-yard field goal. I mean, it's just, it's been a blast. Like, I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if I'm going to be happy. Um, I, I assume I won't based on my entire sports fan history. But it's been a blast and sometimes you lose that because there's only one team that ever wins the title. Yeah. But these seasons aren't, they don't come around very often. And so you have to appreciate them when they do. Yeah, I agree. Hey, uh, it's a wide open NFC. If Jalen hurts is not hundred percent, that's you've got a great yeah, shot to get there. I don't think the Super Bowl winners coming out of the NFC. I, I mean, I think the Vikings can beat any of these teams. I think they can lose to any of these teams. It wouldn't surprise me if anybody, but the seven seed ends up in the championship. Even if the Bucks somehow magically just turn it on in the last six weeks of the, the year, I could see something stupid like that. I mean, the NFC is not very good. Conversely, in the AFC, for the next, oh, I don't know, 20 years, you have amazing quarterback play. So yeah. that'll be fun. Yeah, always fun to chat with Mike Schaefer from Husker 24-7. Schaefer, thanks a lot for the time, and happy new year. All right, Cole, have a good one. You have a, a great new year as well. Are you actually going to make it to 12? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we we've got a couple of kids I think who will who will push us that far. So, do kids still like want to bang pots and pans at New Year's? I did that when I was a kid. Is that a thing that kids do anymore? Pot. Well, we don't do the pots and pans. We have like the, the little poppers, noise the party makers. poppers. No, yeah, mm-hmm. noisemakers. Yeah, and they just make enough noise on their own without the <laughs> without those aids. It's, yeah, we'll we'll probably make it to midnight with at least a couple of them. Right. Well, good luck, because at 35, I don't know that I have a lot of incentive to just stay up for the sake of staying up, Yeah. so I don't even know that I'm guaranteed to make it to midnight. That's all right. That's all right. To each their own. To each their own. Yeah. All right. All Th- right. Thanks again, Schaefer. Have a great one, Cole. Yeah, you too. All right. That's Mike J. Schaefer, at Mike J. Schaefer uh, on Twitter. If I mean, if you're listening to this show, you clearly follow Mike Schaefer already. Um, and uh, yeah, great, great stuff in terms of recruiting. And uh, and Vikings talk, of course, as uh, as you get there with shape. Uh, we're going to take a break. Um, when we come back, more on this football team as it comes together. Uh, more from the 2023 class, what that tells you about the direction of this program. 
uh, the staff hire that was made this week, uh, one of the 10 assistants uh, that's been, um, I don't know that's been actually made official by the by the university, but it's been widely reported basically everywhere, so uh, we'll report it here as well. And uh, more Hoops Talk, and uh, we'll get you ready for 2023 in the world of Nebraska sports. That's all coming up here on the KLI and Husker Hour. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Giving you an inside look at everything Huskers. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. Big thanks to Mike Schaefer. Just joined us talking a lot about recruiting as he is one of the best in the state to do that covering this program. If you missed that or anything else on the show, you can always head over to the podcast page at KLIN.com. Our Facebook Lives are archived at our Facebook page, at KLI and Huskers. That's where we're at on Twitter as well. And look, this 2023 class, I think it tells you a lot about where Matt Rule is looking to to take this program and, and what changes he thinks uh, need to be made, where there needs to be an infusion of talent uh, or or just uh, some different guys to add to the mix, to, to add to the competition. First off, if you look position by position, they got six defensive linemen in this class. That's the most of any single position. Um, and, and if you look at the players they have, uh, some of them may or may not play defense. I, I don't know if Mason Goldman or uh, Jason Masijiak, uh, if they count uh, as offense or defense, maybe I should have counted these up first. One, two, three. This is good radio for... Five, six. They are actually counted as offensive linemen, Goldman and, and Masijak both. Uh, so you have Vincent Carroll Jackson, Elijah Judy from Texas A&M, Maverick Noonan, Riley Van Poppel, Princewell Uman Milan, another name, uh, and Kai Wallen. Uh, so those are the defensive linemen. Uh, you got some interior guys and you got some pass rushers there. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of work to do there. Uh, O'Shawn Mathis and Garrett Nelson both moving on. Uh, Colton Feast uh, is moving on as well. Uh, basically, it's like 2022 again. You've got Ty Robinson and uh, question marks on the interior. Uh, so that is that's going to be important for them to to maybe find some guys there uh, to step in, uh, perhaps right away. Uh, it's hard for it's hard for you to count on a, a true freshman to do that, uh, but it's been done. Uh, but you also have uh, Elijah Judy, who is a 6'3", 300-pound D lineman from Texas A&M, who you could plug in right away. He's got experience at a Power 5 program. Uh, the other positions that are highest uh, in terms of the quantities they brought in, uh, you've got five wide receivers and four defensive backs. Obviously, passing game is pretty prevalent these days in college football, uh, even in the Big Ten. Even though you you face the Minnesotas, the Iowas, the Wisconsins every single year in the current structure of the Big Ten, um, those teams lean on the run game, but you do still have to defend the pass quite a bit. Uh, you've got to be able to shut down something, uh, and and defensive linemen and secondary guys on defense. That's that's definitely a way to do it. They got three linebackers as well, so all three of those levels of the defense are covered in this class. And then you go to the wide receiver position on offense. And look, this is something that Matt Rule has pointed to a lot so far when he's talked. At Baylor, 
they took guys who just had flat-out track speed and developed them into wide receivers. name that you've heard thrown out a lot is Tyquan Thornton. He's in the NFL right now. I think he might be with the Patriots. I know he's been with the Patriots. Not sure if he's bounced around at all. But he was a guy who was not recruited by anybody, but has track speed. Legit burner out of high school. Uh, they brought him into Baylor, taught him how to catch, taught him how to run routes, uh, and, and he turned into an NFL wide receiver. So guys like Jalen Lloyd that you got out of Westside, uh, another guy that they got the first commit after Matt Rule was hired in Bryce Turner out of Bay City, Texas. Uh, just track speed guys that you can convert into really good receivers. Uh, he even got a guy from Baylor and Joshua Fleeks, a uh, former four-star recruit for coming out of high school. He's from Dallas. Uh, Jaden Doss, Malachi Coleman, those were previous commits, but they also have the capability to uh, burn you with uh, the deep ball. And, and just quickness, uh, maybe out of the slot. So that's another thing that you're going to see from Matt Rule in, in his Nebraska program is speed at the receiver position, getting guys the ball in space and just letting them go to work. Uh, a lot of yards after catch. Uh, that's the design of this offense. And then lastly, offensive line. Uh, Shave talked about his under-the-radar guy in the Magic Man from South Dakota, uh, Jason Masijiak. Go with that. Um, <laughs> he's 6'3", 320. He's a high school senior, and he's 6'3", 320. Uh, you got Mason Goldman out of Gretna with that late commitment, 6'5", 260. Uh, Nebraska also kept from the state Sam Sledge and Brock Knutson. Both of those guys have nice frames that you can put some, some, uh, some weight on here in the training table. 6'7", 300 for Brock Knutson. Definitely a look at tackle, I would think. And then your your center for the future, really, in terms of, of where you're going to play this guy, is Sam Sledge. 6'3", 285 out of Creighton Prep. Uh, and then uh, your center for the present, I think, uh, is the latest guy they got. He got They got him after uh, the Wednesday signing day. I think it was a Friday commitment. Ben Scott, transfer from Arizona State. Uh, he started, I think, 28 games for the Sun Devils or at least played in 28 games, that is a guy that you're going to start, I think, at center in 2023. And then Sam Sledge would be the center in waiting, if you will, maybe redshirting in 2023, uh, and then maybe able to step right into that role as a redshirt freshman. Uh, that's his position in high school. That's the position he's being recruited to in college. And so that may be somewhere that Matt Rule looks at and says, okay, we're good there. Let's look at other positions. Getting offensive linemen out of the Midwest is something that Nebraska has to be able to do. It's what Minnesota does. It's what Iowa does. It's what Wisconsin does. It's what the Dakotas do. And Nebraska needs to do that to be successful. You can't have... I I think this philosophy exists for a lot of people. If Nebraska is going to get a guy in recruiting, and maybe he turns out to be a miss... I think more than more than most Nebraska fans are going to be more okay with it being a guy from Nebraska or South Dakota or Colorado or Oklahoma or Kansas. Uh, if it's a local kid who you miss on, I think you'd rather miss on a local kid than somebody from Florida or California or the Northeast. Just you'd rather you'd rather prioritize those guys because I think those guys are more than likely to stay in your program and develop over the long term. We talk about getting old and staying old in the Big Ten Conference, and that's something that you can do if you have local guys on your roster. They're less likely to get homesick. They're less likely to transfer, I think. So having that prioritization in terms of your linemen, getting your linemen from this state, and just in terms of the state breakdown, Nebraska has eight players from the state in this class. That's the most since the mid-2000s. Uh, and the other thing that sticks out to me is the number of walk-ons. You see this? Only four. Uh, much smaller walk-on class than in past seasons. And I think, I think there's a recognition that Nebraska may trim the fat a little bit, uh, not have such a bloated roster. Uh, Scott Frost talked about having 140, 150 kids on the roster. It doesn't matter if you don't have those guys getting practice reps. Uh, they don't get to come in 
at the start of fall camp. Uh, you only have, I think, 105 at the start of fall camp, and then once the school year starts, then you can get the full roster in. It You might get a player or two out of that pool once in a while, but uh, I, I think it's okay to just be more selective with your walk-ons, uh, and, and that's what Nebraska did here with just four. Uh, you're not going to have as many guys in that walk-on class, and that's okay. Um, lastly, the the hire that was made this week um, was uh, the tight ends coach. We saw Scott Satterfield uh, or was was going to be the tight ends coach. He transfers over to uh, quarterbacks coach, also as the offensive coordinator. Uh, but the new tight ends coach uh, is Bob Wager. He's been the head coach at Arlington Martin High School in Arlington, Texas, right between Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh, Seventeen seasons there. Made the playoffs to Texas every year and uh, won ten wins at least eight times. At least ten wins eight times uh, in his head coaching tenure there at Arlington Martin High School. Um, he's going to be the tight ends coach and the assistant special teams coordinator uh, with Ed Foley. Ed Foley also has some history in coaching offensive linemen, so those guys will be able to prioritize special teams while also focusing on uh, another position as well. This is something that we saw Matt Rule do uh, in terms of a support staff member hiring from the high school ranks in Florida. This is a guy who's coached for 17 years in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You don't think that's going to come in handy in recruiting? Uh, the, the second most number of players Nebraska got in this 2023 class is the state of Texas. Five players from Texas in this class including the second-highest-ranked player if you want to look at the recruiting star rankings. Malachi Coleman, number one. Number two is Prince Will. Prince Will U. Going with that. 6'4", 230 out of Austin, Texas. He is a, a guy that you hope can make an impact off the edge. I've screamed on this radio show for eight years that you've got to have an elite pass rusher once in a while. They haven't had it since Randy Gregory. Prince Will out of the state of Texas, out of Austin. And now you've got one of your 10 staff members who's been a a high school coach in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for 17 seasons. Matt Rule immediately made inroads with Texas high school coaches at Baylor. This is him furthering that cause uh, with this hire. Uh, so, So you can see what Matt Rule is doing by some of these moves that he's made, by some of these hires, by his prioritization of these guys in recruiting. All of this kind of feeds into the same narrative that he's going to prioritize certain things, he's going to build this program in a certain way, and you start to see it come to fruition with these moves. So uh, those are some observations I have that I think you're going to see in the fall and, and in years to come under Matt Rule. Uh, when we come back, we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, it is the last show of 2022. Happy New Year. Uh, we've got uh, a little bit of basketball to get you ready for, uh, the upcoming games for the men and women, uh, what to expect in 2023. Uh, we're going to wrap this thing up next year on the KLI and Husker Hour. Giving you a complete review of the Huskers news this week. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Wrapping up 2022. Thanks for listening all year long. We'll have uh, Caleb and Matt back with us in the new year. Uh, Nebraska men's basketball is next in action on Tuesday. They play at Michigan State. Uh, And then uh, Nebraska women, who we've not touched on, uh, they took a pretty solid loss uh, to Michigan, number 14 Michigan. They lost 76-59 to uh, earlier this week. They're next uh, in action uh, on Sunday. Uh, that's tomorrow, New Year's Day. They're at number four, Indiana. Uh, that is a noon tip-off. You can hear that one over on B107.3. Um, hey, uh, it is uh, bowl season. There's eight bowl games left, not counting the title game, and six of them feature Big Ten teams. Seven, if you want to count USC. Um, and uh, Big Ten 3-0 and so far. Michigan, not Michigan. Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Maryland have, uh, have all won their bowl games. Good for them. Uh, also, yesterday... December 30th, it was the six-year anniversary of Nebraska football's last bowl game. That's right. Uh, They participated in the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl, and they lost to Tennessee 38-24. Tennessee's quarterback in that game, Josh Dobbs, 
He just started a game uh, on Thursday for the Tennessee Titans, actually in the same stadium as uh, that bowl game, and threw a touchdown for the first time since that bowl game uh, in a regular season NFL game. Uh, Derek Barnett for Tennessee broke Reggie White's all-time Tennessee sack record against Nebraska. And uh, Nebraska scored three touchdowns in that game, two of them by wide receiver Brandon Riley, and one of them was a rushing touchdown from starting quarterback Riker Fife. What a time to be alive. 2016. Who knew, watching then, as my current first grader was just, well, he wasn't even walking yet. And uh, yeah, that's six years ago. Wow. Also yesterday, my uh, my oldest's birthday. She just turned 11. Happy birthday, Evie. Uh, it's uh, It's been a tough week for uh, some some high-profile folks uh, passing away. So um, RIP to Pele, best of all time in, in terms of soccer players. Uh, and Barbara Walters uh, just found out yesterday that she uh, passed as well. Rest in peace to both of them. Uh, and, and rest in peace 2022. It feels like we've gone through like three straight 2020s in terms of just ridiculousness uh but hey here's the 2023 uh here's to nebraska basketball continuing this run on defense and maybe getting to the postseason for fred hoiberg um nit maybe ncaa hey let's let's aim let's aim high uh you play defense and, and rebound like that you've got a shot uh here's to matt rule figuring it out quicker than he has uh, at his past stops, let's get uh, let's get more than one win here in 2023. How about that? Uh, and and maybe getting to uh, a bowl game for the first time since six years ago yesterday in 2016. Uh, here's to Amy Williams keeping it going uh, and and finding a way to uh, to make postseason despite some injuries to Sam Hybe and Allison Widener. Hope they get better uh, quickly. Uh, here's to here's to Nebraska wrestling keeping the domination against Iowa going. Let's turn that thing around. Uh, Nebraska over Iowa. Will Iowa ever win again against Nebraska? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for joining us all year long. And go Big Red.